well-meaning Christians began to build buildings. Now, I'm not against church buildings. Uh, They are good things, necessary things, needed things. We have a wonderful facility here at Northside. Um, My challenge with church buildings is that's often how we think of church. Uh, When you look at most church websites, uh, the first thing you'll see is a picture of their building. When you invite someone to worship, you say, would you like to go to church? Those things are semantical, so it's not, I'm not making a a big deal, but what I'm saying is something shifted. Uh, Christians in the first century wouldn't have had this concept of going to church. Church was people, the ecclesia, it was the called out, it was who you were, it was a very special select group of people, wherever they met, whether it was in the courtyards of the temple or in homes. Uh, no problem with church buildings, but the, the, the challenge that comes is that we often think of church as a place more than people. We read scripture, uh, even at a cursory level, we quickly see that church was more than just a place, more than a facility. I want you to pay attention to these words from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 19. As I said this morning, Paul in here is uh, in the middle of a a great doctrinal dissertation. And he's talking about really being one, the unity that we're to have in Christ, not just with one another, but now that we have with God, the reconciliation and all of that. And in verse 19, he writes these words, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A couple of uh, things that that we'll notice. First, he talks about us as being fellow citizens. And then he gets into this... Powerful analogy, it's just perfect, of a structure. And you say, wait a second, I thought, I thought they didn't have church buildings. What is Paul talking about? Well, they were, of course, used to meeting at the temple. They had structures. Uh, Jesus, or Paul here rather, is saying that those in Christ are part of a holy structure, not a human structure, but a holy structure, which is the church. He says, Christ is the cornerstone, the apostles, the prophets, they're the foundation. And everything else is built on these two things. And then these two, these structures that are built on top of the foundation, they're all joined together so that they grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is not a physical temple, but a spiritual temple is being built. In fact, he says, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God. That's the cool thing about the story of redemption. When we go from 
Genesis chapter 3, God and man are very far apart. And the story of redemption is God moving closer and closer. Gradually, first he appears to them in, in the mountaintop there at Sinai. And he, the law is delivered. The covenant is given. Uh, part of that covenant was the instructions for the temple, the holy and the holy of holies, where God could dwell among the people. And yet, there was a level of separation. Not just anyone could go into the temple. Certainly not anybody could just go into the holy place, and only one person, one time a year, could go into the most holy place. We move from that to Jesus dwells with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about that, the incarnation, that how God wasn't just a, residing in a physical place in the middle of the camp. Now he was flesh and blood, that we could talk to him and hear him as human being to human being. Jesus being both fully God and fully man. And, and he's as close to us as you can imagine getting, and then he leaves. But he's promised something, someone more precisely, the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that when you become a Christian, you're forgiven, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who we know later from Scripture dwells within us. So the really powerful image is that God comes closer and closer until he finally is within us. Now you think about the church being the people. This gets really exciting because the church doesn't just exist. We gather, we assemble at 4545 North Meridian. But because the Spirit dwells in within us, now the church is spread out all over town working at hospitals, working in the schools, working within places like Carpenter Place, working over at Chance Manufacturing. Now, the presence of God within God's people. And so Paul here says, remember who you are. So we're going to talk about that a little more in depth for our Sunday night study. First, he says, we are not who we once were. He starts out by saying, you are no longer. You're no longer distant strangers. You're no longer alienated from God. But now you are fellow citizens of the kingdom. And because we are no longer aliens and strangers to God, but are citizens of the kingdom, it's actually flipped. So now we are aliens and strangers in the world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We don't sing that old hymn much anymore, but it does tell a very important truth. That home is not here. The moment we were joined with Christ and joined with this, His body, the church, we have a new home, and it's not here. I went to go visit a brother in Christ. He's been at the hospital. Now he's moved to sort of a temporary care facility. I walked into his room. He's still struggling in his health. Uh, he was having trouble breathing. And uh, I asked how he was, and he told me he's not good. But we had as much of a conversation as you can with somebody who's struggling to breathe. And he remarked about the craziness, and he had the television on uh, of, of our leaders, 
in Washington, D.C., who could not, for the life of them, select a Speaker of the House. And he was remarking about that. I looked and I thought, well, how does a preacher wade into a political discussion? And the answer to that, if you're a wise preacher, is he doesn't. I said, you know, I'm just very grateful that this world is not my home. And he said, I agree with that. This is the idea conveyed to us in Ephesians chapter 2. That we're no longer strangers and aliens to God, but we are strangers and aliens to the world. Peter echoes this thought in 1 Peter 2.11 when he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are sojourners, exiles, strangers, and aliens in this world. And when we keep that in mind, I think it keeps a lot of things in perspective. Imagine... For a moment that you and your family uh, go on a vacation, go on a trip somewhere, and you have the hotel booked, and you and you check in, and you get up to your room, and it's, it's all fine. But then you notice the hotel staff are always grumbling about the management. You notice problems here or there. You, you, you notice that uh, some of the other guests are behaving in an unseemly way. You realize that... This really doesn't feel like a great hotel, but, but it's not so bad that you can't muster through. So you muster through. What, what allows you to push through? Because you know it's not your home. Because there's no sense of permanence there. The danger, of course, is that we, we can get far too comfortable in this world, especially in our time and in our age. It's, it's quite comfortable. And... I think one of the enemy's great strategies is to try to keep us real comfortable here. I notice that many Christians, senior seasoned citizens in the kingdom, uh, often will remark to me, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what God is doing with me. I'm so ready to go home. They don't mean that in a morbid sort of way. They just understand that this world holds nothing of value for them. That everything of value is ahead of them. And they long for that eternal home. Number two, we are a spiritual family. He says, you are members of the household of God. Not orphans, no longer orphaned because of our sin, but members of the family of God. As we talked about this morning, church is family. I think every part of it has a very familial aspect. God the Father, Jesus is both Son and also our brother. Uh, pay attention to these scriptures from the Gospels, Matthew chapter 12, 49 and 50. Matthew 12, 49 and 50. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Sometimes we'll get questions on Know Your Bible about, did Jesus have siblings? Of course, there's 
some folks who believe in uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary, that she only had Jesus, which, of course, if you read the Scriptures, you know is not true. Um, He had several siblings. And here, he is being asked about that, and he points to the fact that there is more to his family than his siblings. It's the spiritual family of God as well. In John chapter 1, John, we just went through this in our last series, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When you're born, you're born into a family. You don't get to choose that family. Well, the same is true when you're born again. You're born into a family. And as you grow, you'll get to know them. You'll learn from them. They'll encourage you, and hopefully you will encourage them. You'll share together in the journey. In Romans chapter 12, the great chapter on the practical ways to be a Christian, if you want to put your Christianity into practice, just read, memorize, and do your best to at least apply one thing from Romans chapter 12, and you'll do well. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Every other Christian, not just here in Wichita, not just here in Kansas or in the nation, but in the whole world, not just those who live now, but those who have always lived in the past, and those who are not yet born, every other Christian is a brother or sister in Christ, part of the family of God. This is why in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul will write to the preacher Timothy and he will encourage him on how a minister ought to act toward his family. And he writes it this way, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. See, that changes the way you might address an older brother in Christ. Not harshly, but maybe as you was your, your dad, if you were trying to gently instruct your dad. To encourage younger men as brothers. To think about the people who are younger than you and consider your Influence your example, both in word and action, on your brothers. He says, encourage older women as mothers. Think about the women who are older than you, more mature than you in Christ, have a great deal of wisdom to teach you. And to encourage younger women as sisters in all purity. I think it was the Olive Garden, I don't remember, but uh, there was a restaurant that had the marketing campaign that was, when you're here, you're family. And the church, we can remove out the when you're here part. You're family. Now, it helps if you're here, <laughs> if it helps when you're together so that you can know how to pray for one another, how to encourage one another, 
uh, to be there for one another, to look one another in the eye, to you know, do all of those one another's that we spent all year last year talking about. But your family, and that should make a big difference in how you approach the body and how you live as church, how you be the church. The challenge, especially in our culture today, is church increasingly has become more a business than a family. And there's churches that have lots of marketing and slick speakers and high-quality everything, and all that's fine, so long as you don't neglect the familial aspect of what church was intended to be. Why did God create the church? Why did God do that? Couldn't a person just be a Christian and be saved and be forgiven and be given the Holy Spirit and be fine on their own? Yeah, I don't think so. There's something within our nature. Why do little babies that make it out of the womb, why do they get parents? Why did God friend them to intend them to have mothers and fathers and siblings? Because when you abandon a baby, it won't survive. It won't grow. It won't mature. It won't learn. You do that by surrounding this young baby with other people. I think about my own spiritual journeys. I won't belabor that, but I know it's popular to bash the church. I know wife beating is a pretty easy subject to go to, but that really, that really, really bothers me. Because the church, to me, is family. From my first moments, it became family. And, and sometimes we, we miss how much of a blessing she really is. And so may we see church more as family. 1 John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we're no longer strangers and aliens. We are a spiritual family. And we share a common foundation. He says, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, this, of course, we understand from the Gospels. Matthew, in, in Matthew, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, that's a really important part, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. To the Family at Corinth, Paul wrote, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 11, Peter said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the precious cornerstone. Sometimes we sing that song, Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. 
That's really important. We don't pay a lot of attention to foundations, but they're fundamentally important. My mother has been in the process of purchasing a, a, a new home, a different home, rather, I should say. And she's looked and she's looked and she's looked. She's living the home she's in for 20 years, so she's really comfortable there, but she needs to get to a different place. And in every one that I could go with her and her realtor, uh, I paid a lot more attention to the foundation than she did. Because I knew if anything was going to give her trouble, foundations can be pretty expensive. So you pay attention to the foundation because it's really important. Paul says, you can't lay a foundation and call it the church if it's any other foundation except for Jesus the Christ. Uh, pretty much anybody can be a church, start a church, and call it church. But there's only one church with one foundation, the, the precious cornerstone and the sure foundation, which is Jesus and the, the apostles. So may we not forget the common foundation with which we share. Now, on that foundation, there's all sorts of things attached to the foundation. And there's all different things, whether it's PVC piping or electrical or structural walls or the roof, all different functions of things that are built on the foundation, but they share this in common, the foundation. That's really important. That's what draws us together into a common table, to a common Word and teaching is this common foundation of Jesus the Christ. And lastly, we are, we are God's building. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not a physical structure confined to one location, but a a spiritual structure spread out, not just all over Wichita, but over the whole world. It's ingenious how God designed the church to be God's building. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter writes, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again, he says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We in the church, we build things, we add part, we bring ourselves, our talents, our gifts, whatever God has given us to build. Make sure you're building on Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, uh, and this is in regard to some sexual immorality that was happening there in the Corinthian family. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. We should take care of ourselves. We are God's building. 
You hear some people say, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. That's, that's true. They're watching you. If you're a Christian, the, the presence of God is within you. He should impact your attitude, your actions, your words, and how you treat people. So pay attention because they're watching God's building at work. All right, what's the application of Ephesians chapter 2? Well, lots of things. We're not who we once were. We are a spiritual family. We share a common foundation, and we are together God's building. Well, here's my application of all of that. May we not forget that church, church is family. So may we love one another as family. May we stay together as family. bothers me greatly for as much as Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. Some people miss that. Families are designed to be with you throughout your whole life. It's a group of people who are imperfect just like you, who have sinned just like you. It's so strange to me how some people treat their spiritual family is never, ever the way you would treat your physical family. Well, that person offended me. I'm going to go find me another family. That person hurt me. I'm going to go find another family. Tyler, Grace, sorry. You made Daddy angry. Going to find a new family. We would say that's dysfunctional. That's not how families work through things. That's not how God designed it to be. So we really should pay attention to that. Because church is people. People are going to have problems. People can be messy. But the encouragement is your family. You're in this together. God designed you to be in this for the long haul. We've made it real easy to leave one family and go be a part of another family. And I think heaven is going to have a lot of awkward conversations when we get there. Oh, we're spending eternity together. Yeah, that's sort of the point with family. So we stick together. We work through the problems. We forgive one another. We practice love as Jesus showed us love, and we practice that with one another. So, we're family. Stay in there. Stick together. Don't give up on one another. We need each other. That's why God designed the church, that we might be built together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship you, we honor you, we love you, and we thank you, especially for your beautiful design of the body of Christ, the church. May we hold her dear, as dearly as Jesus does. May we love her. We stick with her, and we not give up on her. 
May we work together as the body and may we be the body that the world needs to see. Lord, you have given a part of yourself, your Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. May we take seriously the awesome responsibility that we are vessels for that which is holy. May he impact not just our prayers, but our words and our actions this week and all the weeks to come. Lord, give us wisdom. Sometimes the old devil, the ancient serpent, uses the same playbook, but he's really, really good at it. And he gets us to be so short-sighted, so self-willed, that we forget who we are and who we are not. May your word continue to challenge us. May your spirit continue to guide us. And may you continue to deal with us mercifully and to patiently walk with us until we are reunited someday. That is possible, of course, because of your Son, and it is through him that we offer this prayer. Amen.